That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to a very special 2023 off-season episode. You're listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and a proud member of the Herd At Sports Network. My name is Drew and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host Ben. Thanks Drew and thank you for joining us. For those new to the show during the Nebraska football season, Drew and I profile and review craft breweries, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker football insight. And in the off season, we do pretty much the same thing, but with slightly less regularity. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On today's episode, we close out our off-season mini-series of conversations with local breweries with Shane from Monolithic Brewing in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. everyone and welcome to wannabe walk-ons we are so happy to have you join us for what will undoubtedly be an excellent finish to our conversation with local breweries yep. today we are joined by shane costello brewmaster at one of my favorite breweries here in omaha it's monolithic brewing company shane thank you so much for joining us today yeah thank you so much for having me guys yeah you you uh you did a, an awesome thing which we don't normally have happen which is you continued to to kind of encourage us to let you guys be on or not let you be on but make sure that we didn't miss out on having a conversation with you guys at monolithic and we really appreciate you uh sticking to those guns and, and joining us today on this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I know. It's like, uh, you know, you invited me a while back and, you know, things get hectic around here. And then I was watching some of the other ones. I'm like, dang, I need to hit those guys up. Well, we, we appreciate that. You know, we, we don't mind being an afterthought when the afterthought is getting to come here and hang out with you on a, on a day when the shop is closed. But we still get to enjoy the beer, and as Drew said, you know it's one of his favorites, one of my favorites. Yeah, as we well. weren't gonna, we weren't gonna stop. We weren't gonna let you not be on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was at some point yeah. we were gonna continue to, <laughs> to to ask and beg and plead, and, and you were kind enough to reach out. So we're really excited to be here, and it's 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 our pleasure, and, and hopefully we can uh, be value added to your day in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, to get started, if you don't mind, could you just tell us about your role and responsibilities here at Monolithic? Yeah, so I'm the head brewer, brewmaster, um, so I do all the brewing operations, all the beer forecasting, all that fun stuff, and then I also manage the tap room as well, so you come see me every Wednesday, I'm pretty much every Wednesday, and either Friday or Saturdays as well, and I also 
write all of our social media, which is fun, and we definitely have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that's one of the things that you notice kind of in brewing is that uh, nobody takes themselves too seriously, no. except they take the work seriously. For so sure. like the social mm-hmm. media side, there's a really great consistency that comes into play there where you guys take advantage of that, but it's all about having fun and creating an atmosphere at the brewery. So for those folks out there who enjoy monolithic and what they do on social media, we've got Shane to thank for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely yeah. And then sh- quick shout out before me, my wife, Amanda, and then Todd, one of my business partners, his wife um, as well, did, started it off. So they kind of set the set the groundwork for it, and they're both like, "All right, we have our full time jobs. We can't do this anymore." <laughs> I think you guys are ready to do it. So excellent. Well, you you so you wear a lot of hats here. Um, yep. In this brewery, and is uh, is the small size of the brewery? Because you guys, I don't think you distribute, right? Your your mission here is just to do all in house, everything on tap. Um, you know, being that small business, is that that kind of forced you into those roles? Do you jump into those willingly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, with our small production capacity and focusing more on in-house, we do a little bit of distribution. Mm-hmm. So when we have extra beer, we'll send on the market. Like I sent seven kegs out last week. Um, but for the most part, our ultimate goal is to sell everything in-house. So. Is, is that kind of the advantage of some of the new laws that are being passed and that are being pushed forth kind of by the guild is to be able to move some of that extra beer when it's not moving in-house or when you, you know want to get it somewhere else? Is that something that was kind of 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 that like is that i guess i'm stumbling over my own words there, but, <laughs> but i mean i guess what i'm trying to get at is like was that always the plan or did the change in laws allow you to do that and you're kind of like hey this is a nice happy coincidence yeah so we were actually set up for distribution um before all the laws got passed um and just as an outlet kind of more for marketing purposes than anything um just to get our beer out into the different craft beer bars um, so once we joined the guild, we found out that that was like on the horizon, hopefully, as long as it got passed and it did. Um, so currently we're still set up with our distributor, but, you know, just kind of see where it goes in the future. What's one of the unique advantages or, or what are the unique advantages to having a distributor as opposed to doing it all in-house? I mean, why stick with that when the option is there for you guys to do it yourself? Um, it's, it's nice to have the distributor handle that honestly because there's a lot of work that needs to be done as far as you know taking the kegs out in the market and all that so um, it does make it easier but at the same time um, you know there's more money to be made when you self-distribute because obviously the margins are tight and you're paying a middleman to you know get your beer out there so self-distribution like getting that pass is huge for you know local you know Nebraska craft breweries just gives us all the opportunity to you know make more money on our product and be the representative of our product as well yeah well i want to i want to step back to kind of the beginning of monolithic um you guys opened in 2021 um in the middle of a pandemic which i'm sure you weren't planning on originally nope. um so so i mean we don't need to get into the fact that that was probably a huge um headache for you a disadvantage um probably a hard time but how did that how did that unique circumstance and experience kind of shape monolithic as a brewery like did do you feel like things have have um, turned out differently for the better because of, of you know navigating such a difficult starting path yeah I mean it's kind of interesting right so yeah we opened October of 2020 um, and when we opened things were kind of starting to open back up in Omaha and so like our first two weekends it was crazy we had that honeymoon moment Mm-hmm. But then the next variant came through and the bottom kind of fell out for a few weeks. It was right around um, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so 
we didn't get the opportunity to have that true like honeymoon phase that new breweries get where for the first you know one to four or five six months that it's just packed and everybody's coming to check you out we didn't really get that opportunity um but at the same time you know with our neighborhoods that surround us you know we kind of become that local neighborhood brew pub and so yeah we weathered that storm and obviously the road closed in front of us like two months after we opened so the fact that we got through a pandemic and a road closure and made out the other side like it's pretty awesome so yeah we really just kind of you know had to work hard to get our name out there so we had fun with the social media like anything we could do to kind of attract people here and that's why we did some distribution as well just to anything we could do to market ourselves for sure well i think i think surviving those things speaks to probably two things one the the quality of the beer and the service that you provide here. Um, once people discovered it, they would find their way back, regardless of, of um, outside circumstances. Um, and two, I think you know, being in this area, I think you're the, you're the only brewery out here in Northwest yeah. Omaha, and so um, it's probably a place that was you know looking for that neighborhood spot or that local spot that they could pop into on the regular. Yeah, definitely. So like myself and Todd, we both live within ten minutes of here, and yeah, this area needed something. I mean, it's either Benson or Elkhorn. That's his, you know the closest breweries. And so we really saw the opportunity when we're looking at different spaces to open up. And then once we found this one, like it all really made sense. And we're really excited, especially, I mean, we got the patio out here, which is nice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You've got a really beautiful view and a, a really beautiful spot. That's you know incredibly welcoming. It's, it's big. I don't feel like, Oh, I'm not going to be able to, to come get a table. Like even if it's a full house, there's still going to be space for me. Right. So you can yeah. really enjoy that kind of that space. Yeah. And that was helpful through COVID too. I mean, with all the table space and all that, we had such a big open space. Like it was, it was a space, honestly, that people felt comfortable going to because you weren't jam packed in there. So that definitely helped. So going back to that, you know, even pre October, 2020, can you tell us a little bit about the genesis behind monolithic and, and how you guys decided to open up a brewery, not just in this location, but in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started home brewing and 2011 and from that first batch of beer i'm like this is what i want to do like i just loved it um you know shout out to dallas down at upstream brewing um he actually hooked my friend jj and i up with our first ingredients to brew their capital pale ale homebrew and that kind of set us on that journey um and so from that first batch i knew this is where i want to go and just kept working at it and working at it and then moved to this side of town and my buddy told me, hey, go check out Cunningham's Pub and Grill. Like, I love wings and I love craft beer. And he brought me there for lunch and I got hooked on the wings instantly and had good craft beer. And so that became my watering hole um, for quite a while. And then turned out my homebrew partner, JJ, his wife worked with Todd, my now business partner, who was the GM there. And so once we figured out that connection, I started bringing him you know, homebrews that I had. And he let me know, like, hey, Derek and I are thinking about opening up a brewery. Do you want to be the brewer? And I was like, absolutely. I'll leave this 15-year banking career in the dust and let's do this. So it wasn't even a question. I'm like, yes, let's do this. So, yeah, really just by going, because of their wings, that's why I'm here now, which is pretty crazy to say. Um, so, yeah, we started having those conversations and started getting serious about it. And I started, you know, homebrewing more seriously and really focusing, focusing in on everything. And um, ball just got rolling and here we are. Did you lean on any brewery in particular in the area to kind of help with the upscaling going from homebrew to your own brewery? Yeah, no, I definitely, I relied on a lot of the contacts that I'd made. So um, for two years before we opened, I actually worked for the distributor um, that distributes our beer now. So I got to meet a lot of people in the community. Um, Tom down at Vice Major, um, Dallas at Upstream, um, Jeremy up at Divots. 
um, the guys at Cross Strain, um, yeah, we're all you know super helpful. I mean, that's the great thing about the craft beer community. Like, oh, you're opening a brewery. If you got any questions, if you need anything, let me know. And so, yeah, definitely. That's that's a sincere question too that they they ask, right? A lot mm-hmm. of places you go and it's like, if you got any questions, let me know. And they hope that their phone never rings. Where it's like in this community, it's if you got a question, like I want to be the guy to answer. And I want to be the guy to, to, to lend support. And I think that's really awesome. That's we, something. Yeah, we hear that a, a lot, a lot. Um, yeah. Have, so you, and you, I think you've been on both sides of that equation, right? Where you're, you're um, receiving help. But then I think you've also been that guy who's helped other breweries get off, off the ground. So, um, you know, what's, what's that like to be on the other side of that where, so, you know, people are reaching out to you. Um, and what are you, what are you able to provide for them, you know, based on your experiences? Yeah, no, and that was a great part, you know, with all the help that I received, I'm like, I want to pay this forward. And so, um, Kirk out at Bearded Brewer is open since we opened and then Dan down at Lumen, um, two good friends of mine. And so once I met them, I'm like, yeah, anything you guys need, you know, reach out and I'm willing to help because yeah, you want to pay it forward. It's like any of the trials and tribulations I went through and like the little mistakes that were made, you know, early on, it's like, if I can help somebody else not make those mistakes, then you know, it's really rewarding. Yeah. Well, you, and you have collabs on with those guys right now with Lumen and Bearded. Yep. Um, and I'm, I, I've never asked this question before. I've probably thought it, but with a collaboration, like how, how do those happen? Um, who reaches out to whom, um, who, you know, who's the one that gets to get the final say in the, the recipe or how do you, how do you just make that project come to life? Yeah. Well, usually it starts by hanging out at one of the two breweries, having some beers and like, Mm -hmm. hey, we need to collab or, you know, just being friends. Like we need to get a collab together. And once it comes time, I mean, we're we're always all of us are busy. All of us brewers are just nose the grindstone all the time. And so it's like, all right, we need to sit down. Let's hammer this thing out. And yeah, I mean, it's a collaboration. It's usually 50 50. Mm -hmm. Um, We try to figure out, you know, either a something that we both do really well or one that the other does well and the other doesn't. And, you know, that way we can do a home and away collaboration. So that way I can help somebody with something maybe that I do well and then vice versa. Nice. So I'm, I'm curious then when it comes to that collaboration side, and Drew, I think it's an awesome question to ask because it's not one that I don't think is, is considered a whole lot. Um, you know, you probably have a, a brewing philosophy that's, that's near and dear to your heart about the kind of beers you want to present. And other brewers that you collaborate with may go against that or it may challenge that. Um, when you talk about home and away, is that kind of what you're meaning? Is like, I'm going to brew a beer that's right for monolithic, but I'm going to do it at like a bearded brewer or at a lumen and then vice versa. They'll brew one that's right for them, but they're going to do it here. Yeah. Or the opposite yeah. or something that they do like, all right, let's bring that here. And that's kind of what we've done with a couple of them. Like, all right, this is something that you do. Let's bring that here and see what our customers think about it. So that is the craziest thing about Omaha. It's like every brewery, you know, their clientele has kind of different tastes. And so like with the Lumen collab we just did, we did this raspberry smoothie sour, which we hadn't done one up to that point. We've done just traditional kettle fruited sours. And we're like, I want to see what a smoothie will do here. And like, this is the perfect opportunity to do that. And yeah, it went over super well. So it's like, all right, now we can do smoothie sours and know that it's going to sell. So it kind of you know, takes some of that stress away knowing that it'll work for you. But at the same token too, it's like we did a collaboration with Cross Strain. It's like, okay, we're both known for our, our hazy IPAs. Like for this first one, let's... Just do a crazy off the wall hazy IPA, and then we'll do something different after that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of in that same vein, what what? How would you describe your brewing philosophy? Like, what are you setting out to do, both yourself as a brewer, but then also under the monolithic banner? Yeah. So um, obviously, IPAs have been a passion project. Um, so we want to be IPA focused off the bat. 
But at the same time, the thing that we've always talked about from day one is the finish of our beers and also doing a wide spectrum of styles to kind of have beer on tap for everybody. Um, so, yeah, we really just focused on the quality, the finish of the beers. Um, you know, I nerd out on the process um, and just love continuing to learn more. I mean, I listen to podcasts all the time. But, yeah, it really just comes down to making clean beer and then also finding out what sells here. Because what sells here is not going to sell in a different, you know, area of town, honestly. And we've discovered that for sure. Um, but that's kind of, you know, kind of it. Um, just love making craft beer and, like, just want to, you know, have something for everybody out here. Yeah. I was going to say, your your website says that, you, um, that you're willing to push boundaries. That, you know, you're even willing to fail and then try again, which I really like. That, yeah. Um, D- that a few philosophy. Batches. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm curious if you've ever had any ideas or if anybody's ever pitched an idea to you that was too far out, out of bounds, too far off the wall where you're like, you were going to pump the brakes and you're like, maybe, maybe not try that. Yeah. No, I have a good friend of mine who, uh, he just likes to sit around and, you know, come up with like random crazy ideas. And he always tells me, he's like, I know this is crazy, but just going to throw it at you. And <laughs> he at least knows what he's coming with. Yeah. So at least he knows that, but you know, obviously knowing the process and how things are actually going to meld together, you know, that changes everything. It's like, well, no, that's just a little, you know, a little too out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you want to make sure everything's palatable for your customers. I mean, and we try not to go too crazy on some things, but then we also have fun at the same time. But it's really just having good, clean beer, honestly, at the end of the day. Are there any beers that you've brewed that you felt were going to be kind of off the scale that Drew's talking about, but that have really been embraced by your customers? I mean, are there any specific ones that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, one of the original homebrew recipes, and actually we have it on tap now, is the Belgian strawberry. Um, so it's a strawberry basil saison. And it, when we first opened, it was called the Strawberry Basil. Um, it's a beer my friend and I entered into a local homebrew competition, and um, our friends really loved it. And we put it on tap here, and people mistook the Belgian yeast esters for the basil. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, there's so much basil in here. Like, I don't know, it was kind of polarizing. And we thought it was something unique that was going to be on tap all the time. And then we hit a period where we couldn't get strawberries, so I'd use whole strawberries and I do 90 pounds in a giant bag inside of the fermenter which is pretty unique and so it was off tap for probably six months and once we were able to get strawberries again in the summer I was like all right let's bring it back let's rebrand it give it a different name and so we called it the Belgian strawberry and there's just a little thing about the basil at the end of the description and lo and behold it sold faster and it was rated higher and untapped which is pretty crazy (laughs) (laughs) That's funny how that works. Just that one little thing can can sway people's minds, and you come in with preconceived notions of what you expect, you know, a beer to be. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel Do you feel like you're you've been able to though, kind of maybe shatter some expectations or you know change people's minds about um, you know what craft beer is and what you have to offer? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so we have monolithic light on tap. Like from day one, we're like, let's have a classic light American lager. Hopefully we can just get people in that drink domestic, you know, lagers and we can open up their minds. And like monolithic light was one of our consistent top sellers for the first you know, two years. And we've kind of seen a slow drop off on it. It still sells consistently, but not as much because we really push sampling. Like when I'm working behind the bar and I see somebody drinking something, strike up a conversation. 
like, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And I start going grabbing samples or go in the back and grab samples off the tanks. And I think slowly it's like we've been showing you know, people that there's other styles out there, which is so much fun. And before you know it, they're drinking IPA and they've never drank IPAs before. Yeah, I think that's great. And then I think that's kind of what we, we've kind of set out to do is to showcase that, the, the, the variety of beer that's out there. And I think that there is something there for everybody. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, that you guys do really well here, Shane, is that uh, you have kind of these stepping stones in place where like I can I can see the progression from beer to beer. I don't see these wild pendulum swings, but I mean, I can go from a monolithic light to something insane, but I can also kind of take a journey where I kind of train my palate to get from A to B. And you, you said something interesting about you're kind of brewing for a finish, right? And, and there's something familiar in kind of the the clean finish, like with the beer that I'm drinking right now, um, which is the Beverly Hills hop. It has that kind of like really kind of unctuous, smooth cream, almost finish where I'm left with this nice, like I'm not left with an IPA taste in my mouth. I'm left, like you said, with that cleanliness. And, and it's, it's something where there's familiarity with other beer styles. Um, and I'm just curious if like, if that's what you're going for, when you say you're brewing for a finish is something that's familiar or is there something with each style that you're going for on that finish? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a general thing, honestly. But yeah, like the hazy IPAs are a perfect example. Um, And a lot of it comes down to the process. Like I age my IPAs, I use quotes there, um, a little bit more than a lot of people, um, just because there's a lot of hot polyphenols and suspension in a hazy IPA and the West Coast as well. And the more time that I give that in the bright tank to at cold temperatures to clean up, all that stuff's going to drop out. And you're just going to be left with a cleaner finish. So that's what I kind of discovered is just taking my time, giving them more time in the tanks, you know, waiting to tap them until they're ready. And it honestly made a huge difference. And it just works for every beer style, honestly. I mean, that's what happens with lagers, right? Like they're cold lagered for, you know, eight weeks. And that gives a chance for all that stuff to drop out. And you're just left with the beer. Yeah. Do you do you feel like you really rely on um the science side of things and like like you said you listen to podcasts you've got all this knowledge um or is there some intuition or maybe like a little more of that like vague gut feeling that that plays into okay this beer is ready this this is when it meets expectations and you just know yeah no it's 100 percent. i mean i always say that brewing is like the perfect melding of science and art so obviously there's you know the scientific protocols that i follow when it comes to my water profiles and so yeah i definitely nerd out on the science side of it but at the same time, there's also intuition as well. You know, it's beer's a living, breathing organism while it's fermenting. And so it's just kind of tasted along the way. I mean, I guess I'm 240 batches in at this point. And so at that point, you know, I kind of like just have all the time frames kind of down. But yeah, it's a little bit of both, um, especially when picking ingredients, like especially hops. You know, I've done enough combos now to where I kind of figure out what works and what doesn't. And so it's really just kind of following my intuition a lot of that honestly kind of going back again a little bit further to when you first started brewing was there a a beer for you or a brewery that was kind of an aha moment that made you go I want to start making this or was there something where you're like beer is something that I want to be a part of more than just a casual drinker yeah I mean going way back it it started with upstream I mean I was a this was I mean probably 2006 I was a Coors Light drinker I mean my early 20s and my friend got into craft beer before I did and brought me down there. He's like, you got to try this stuff. It's really good. And so I tried their Gold Coast Blonde. 
and which is a good segue beer and this blew my mind i'm like oh my gosh a lighter beer can have this much flavor and so that kind of set everything in motion and then fast forward to 2015 um, i had my first hazy ipa Uh, my buddy got some cans shipped in from trillium out in boston and he dropped them off at my house he's like here here's five ipas from this brewery in boston just give them a shot see tell me what you think and just left Cracked the first one open, poured it out, poured hazy, and smelled it. I'm like, this is different. And <laughs> I took that first sip, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And it was amazing. Like, it just absolutely blew my mind. And I proceeded to drink all five cans that night, just kind of in awe. Like, okay, I need to figure out how to do this. Like, I was hooked, like, instantly. And so that's kind of what set me on my hazy IPA journey. Like, from that moment on, like, I think I ended up brewing probably 70 batches of hazy IPA home brewing because, you know, once this is really going, I'm like, I wanted to make sure I had it nailed before we open. Awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about you, your um, connection to the home brewing community. You've got, um, I'm assuming a lot of friends that are still involved in home brewing. You've got home brewing uh, recipes on your menu. Um, what's it like to have, you know, a foot in each camp? Um, and, and why is it important to, stay connected to, to homebrewers and the homebrewing community for you? Yeah, it's so much fun. You know, a lot of it's paying pain it forward. Um, so I was never in a homebrew club. Um, I was always kind of more the lone wolf type, and I had two good friends that were also into it. So we had our own little mini three-person homebrew club. Um, part of it was I just really didn't want to be influenced. I wanted to find, find the path myself. This is kind of how I operate. Um, but then once we opened and I got to know all these people in the local homebrew clubs, it's been so much fun to, I've had, you know, two different clubs in here to do collaboration brews. Um, and so it's just so much fun just to hang out and talk with them. Like I went to one of their homebrew club meetings. And so it's a really cool community and it's a great way for anybody that's looking to get into brewing. Like absolutely, you know, join a homebrew club. You can learn so much. I mean, obviously I took a different path because <laughs> I was like, no, I want to try and fail on my own, but it's just, they have so many great resources, so many guys that, you know, and girls that can brew great beer and it's just it's so much fun what do you think are, are, are some of the biggest challenges going from the homebrew size to what you're doing here at monolithic yeah uh i got lucky because i went from like once we knew this was happening we got a one barrel 31 gallon um you know semi-professional system that i had set up in my garage and so that was kind of a big jump and then going to three and a half barrels it really wasn't that big of a deal scaling up but it's just kind of everything else that comes along with it. Like all the equipment was new, um, was all stuff I'd never used before. And so there was a lot of uh, a lot of sleepless nights, you know, anticipation. And I mean, I'm a procrastinator by, na- by nature. And so it was just like seemed daunting, but just kind of you know, took it one bite at a time. And, you know, I brewed water twice. And just to kind of go through a whole process, I boiled the water. Oh, because like on yeah, purpose, yeah, or did yeah. you just forget? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, on purpose. You just, you just you procrastinated so long with the <laughs> boil and everything like that. You were just <laughs> like, oh, I forgot the grain. Yep. No. Oh wait, when does that go in? Yeah. yeah. But no, yeah, just going through all that, and so I I put in the time and like, you know, I didn't want to look like an idiot. I want to make sure I was well prepared and you know, put in all that time and effort, like adjusting water so i had only used tap water home brewing and we have a reverse osmosis water system here which is one of the most important pieces of equipment in the in the building and it came down to the final weekend i was going to brew on monday and it's friday and i hadn't 
I got a spreadsheet from a water chemist um, brewing water that a lot of brewers use. And I waited till that last weekend, and I spent the entire weekend building my water profile, learning all that stuff. So that's kind of where the procrastinator comes in, but that's kind of when I do my best work is when I'm under the gun. There you go. I, say I had one of your early, early IPAs. I think Ben actually delivered it to me. I had never, I didn't even know you guys were open at that point. He was like, oh, there's a new brewery. Got to try this. Boom. Gives me a, a crowler. And it was incredible. So whatever you were able to, to pump out under pressure there was, it was working. It was hitting early. So Yeah, I know that's one of those things. It's like, all right, I've done all the homework, you know, sometimes down to the, you know, down to the last <laughs> second. But we really want, we really focus on coming out of the gate right, you know, because there's always the thing, like, it takes breweries a year to figure things out, which is true. I mean, there's a lot that I learned in that first year, but... I really wanted to make sure that we came out and had good beer to start with because that's your first impression. Yeah. Were you able to brew kind of on philosophy and like on what you wanted to accomplish in that first year? Because, you know, you say it takes breweries a year to figure stuff out and you can go to a brewery and be like, no, they just make good beer right out of the gate. But to get kind of in their groove of what they want to accomplish, do you feel it was more in that vein or was it, I mean, you were just trying to catch up to the good beer? Yeah, no, I've, I honestly felt really good where we came out. Like, the beer started getting ready and we're kegging them and then trying them like, okay, I think we got something here. It really, it, over that first you know year to two years, it's just a little subtle tweaks. So it's like, okay, so then you start being your harshest critic and trying to break everything down, point out every little flaw that you can and kind of going back and researching like, okay, what can I do to make this better? And so out, after we got out of the gate, it was just kind of small adjustments and just little things as we moved along. Yeah, like Drew said, I mean, uh, I agree. The beer was in a great spot right out of the gate. It, it would it would make sense, you know, karmically and cosmetically there or cosmically that you have a pandemic and then a road that is the most difficult thing to navigate to get here in that first year. I, I live off uh, or over in Elkhorn. I'm not gonna give what, what I live off of for fear that someone will be after me. But <laughs> um, but to get down here, you know, it's having to navigate all that construction and to get here today, it was a breeze. Yeah. But it would it would figure that there'd be great beer that's within reach of me. And it, it's so difficult to get to. Oh, so I'm, sure. I'm glad it's not difficult anymore. Yeah. Is there anything um, that you're focused on right now, maybe like personally or I guess professionally as a brewer that you you want to? What are you yeah, working? Yeah, what are you working on personally? Like, what are some of your? Per- no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not not uh, from the monolithic sense, but from Shane as the brewer at Monolithic. Like, is there anything that you in particular are working on that you're like, okay, I want to improve this aspect to make sure that I'm reaching my full potential or self self actualizing. Yeah, I mean, honestly it's just self inventory, you know. It's sometimes you get too much into the weeds and you just need to take a step back and that's like something I really make a priority. Um and just kind of questioning, like I'm just somebody who questions all the time and you know, tear things, you know, turn things apart, you know, not literally but figuratively. And so not being stagnant, you know, continuing to research being part of the beer community, like listening to our customers. So that's like a lot of it is just constantly taking inventory and you know, seeing what, what's going on out there and like what's selling, like there's always new beer trends. And so we want to make sure we're on top of that. And so kind of just being forward thinking as well. Gotcha. And, that, and Todd's your business partner. He's got um, a restaurant industry background. Does he, is he still a part of the brew process for you? Do you still lean on him for certain um, you know, things when you're, when you're trying to figure out that, that process for the finding the next, the next beer that you want to make? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, Todd and I, we I mean, talk all the time. He's kind of my assistant back there. He helps me where I need help. And then Derek's our other business partner as well. So 
Yeah, we, we kind of get together, and anytime we have an idea, we kind of get together and hash it out and, you know, bring counterpoints and all that stuff. Um, but it's a really fun collaborative process. You know, somebody has an idea, like a lot of times they'll come up with an idea and like, hey, Shane, is this possible? And either, yep, or <laughs> uh, not so much. But no, it, it's a lot of fun collaborating and, you know, bouncing things off each other. Yeah. So I want to keep, I'm going to keep just reeling things back to the beginning. And yeah. um, I'm curious where, where you guys landed on Monolithic as a name, where, where that came from. Yeah, so that was a fun process. Uh, once we got going, we all had notebooks and we started writing down names. And we each had a giant list of names, started cross-checking them on, online. And basically all the good ones were taken. And after about a month of that, the few names that we had left, nobody, nothing really stuck. We couldn't really agree, like, oh, it doesn't sound so great. And it was probably four months later, and Derek was watching Space Odyssey 2001, and there's a whole scene with the monkeys and the monolith, yeah. and I get a random text message on a Saturday night. He's like, what do you think about monolithic brewing? And instantly I was like, yes. Like, I love ancient megalithic structures. I mean, talk about the pyramids and all that stuff all day. Just so fascinating. So it, you know, it caught me immediately, and Todd's like, all right, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, this moved me to my yeah. core. And he was like, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you guys love it. Let's do it. Yeah, because we just we didn't have anything at that point. It's just... So that was the one that stuck. Well, it's kind of like a tattoo, right? Like you got to really be kind of committed and you've got to feel it in your heart and you got for, for some people to get a tattoo. And, and I think it's a great name because of what it signifies and what it represents and kind of the, the tradition that it brings to the table right out of the gate, right? Like there's this expectation and I think that's very bold. And I think that you guys live up to the name immediately. And so I think that, that there's a challenge almost set forth when you say we are monolithic brewing. Like there's kind of like a, yeah. you better bring it, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know it's like when we refer, we're first to open, you know, like monolith, I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's an oxymoron, small brewery, but big flavor. <laughs> <laughs> One of the cheesy things I threw out there, but no, you're right. It's, yeah, you better deliver with a name like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you do. I, I definitely think you do. Speaking of, you know, delivering, Drew and I are already almost done with our beers, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about what we're drinking? And Drew's got the Feisty Walrus. I've got Beverly Hills Hop. Can you tell us a little bit about each of these beers? Yeah, we'll start with the Feisty Walrus because that's a uh, that's a OG right there. So that is the second beer that I ever homebrewed. Wow! And it's the exact same recipe. No kidding! Wow! Dang! Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, it's basically a recipe that I found online and made like literally one subtle tweak to it. Mm. Honestly, it's like up the chocolate malt in it. I'm like, oh, chocolate malt, that sounds good. I didn't know what I was you know, doing back then. But it just was a little bit more bold, a little bit more robust than your typical brown ale. And after that, I tried, you know, after traveling to different breweries and um, learned some information, like, all right, I'll mess with it and try different things and tried them. And it wasn't as good as the original and came back to that recipe. So, yeah, it's a classic English-style brown ale. Um Kind of pushing the line towards a porter almost, but it's just, you know, full flavored, only 4.6% ABV, but, you know, good chocolate, kind of roasty notes in there. And then you're drinking the Beverly Hills Hop, um, and that's from our West Coast IPA line. Um, I love West Coast IPAs, and a lot of people still do, and we opened up with a West Coast IPA, and it's continued to be one of our most popular lines that we have, um, which is cool to see. Um, just the classic American IPA. Um, that one, the name's fun. Beverly Hills Hop, Beverly Hills Cop. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't been on our social media, go check out that post because it's uh, 
me posting like one of the movie posters on top of my Honda Accord. Yes. <laughs> Back to us not taking ourselves seriously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just classic, you know, West Coast sea hops in there. Um, and nice, crisp, clean, but also good hot punch to it. One of the things that I really gravitate towards in beer in general, and, and one of the reasons I gravitate towards your beer uh, in particular, is that you don't shy away from balancing bitterness. I think that that's something that uh, some people, they run towards sweetness. They run towards some of those uh, flavor profiles or, or uh, beer constructs that might scare people. And I think that the bitterness is necessary in, in beers like this to balance some of the sweetness and the hoppiness and those types of things. So that's what I really enjoy ab- about this beer in particular and the other beers that I've had here is, is that, you know, that's, that's what beer was. It, it's bitter. And, and that's the enjoyment of it to me is like finding how to balance that all together. And I think everything you've talked about, it just aligns with that where you're not shying away from something. You're, you're chasing towards or running towards what the, the truth is behind this, this drink. And I just, I absolutely uh, love it. Yeah. I, I give feisty walrus every time I come in here. Like that's, that's always, that's my first beer. Um, because it is it's great um it, it has that great roastiness to it that chocolate but it's not like overly sweet um it's interesting that you said it pushes closer to a porter because that's one of my favorite styles um i love the the drinkability it's a session um and yeah i don't want it to be finished as good as the finish <laughs> is right like i don't want to finish this beer but i find myself finishing it a lot quicker than than i you know yeah, I don't want so. And now in front of you, Shane, you've got a beer that looks completely different than what we're drinking. Is that that uh, that smoothie you were talking about? Uh, no, this is the Pretty in Pink Shandy. Um, so last summer, well, originally we did a collaboration with Vice Major um, with Tom in 2021. We did a Shandy because we were both interested in the style. And this is an example of a collaboration of a beer neither of us had done. It's like, well, let's do it together, and then we can go off and do it ourselves after that. And so it went over well, and after that, I'm like, okay, there's a couple tweaks here and there that I'd like to make to what we did. And so we unleashed it last May of 2023, or wait, 2022. And so we have a regular monolithic shandy, and so I, like, I hand zest and juice, you know, 30 lemons per batch in addition to the lemonade, and then we add different fruits to it. So this we made for Bennington Days. We got into the Bennington Days beer garden this year. And so we added prickly pear puree and strawberry, and it's just super refreshing and delicious, especially out on the patio on a hot day. Um, and so they've really taken off for us, and, you know, using real fruit. You know, some of like on the we do keg by kegs on some of them, and we'll make our own purees in house. So we'll buy frozen strawberries, raspberries, whatever, cook them down, add the sugar, salt, um, strain them, and then add them directly to the keg. Um, so they've been a huge hit for us, and. Pretty delicious, so. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, you know, make, <laughs> making your own purees, I kind of want to jump to that from, like, a culinary perspective. That feels very kind of restaurateur uh, to be able to control salt, sugar, mm-hmm. and, and kind of that profile. Is that the, the thought behind that is to have that full control? Absolutely, yeah. Part of it is just the, the size. So we were talking about making, you know, two to four quarts of puree, which is feasible here you know, using our ovens and everything. But yeah, it's just nice to have that control. Like, cooking is my hobby aside from Brewing was my hobby, and now that brewing is a profession, cooking is my hobby. And then Derek, our business partner, he went to culinary school, um, has that background. And so he's, you know, he made all of our first purees and kind of gave us the blueprint. And so now we've been, you know, making them after that. But yeah, it does help, you know, be, we use pink Himalayan sea salt, right, the best salt we can get. And then that way we can kind of adjust and taste as, you know, as we cook them down and get them to the 
where, where we want them. Has your hobby of cooking influenced your brewing more than you anticipated it doing so? Like, has, has there been kind of some bleed over even further in that? Um, not as much as I thought, you know, cause I'm, when it comes to cooking, I'm a savory cook. Like it's just like, you know, I like big, bold, you know, flavors, lots of seasoning, that type of thing. And, and beer, you can only do that so much. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I have that fun with the hops. I mean, with our hazy IPAs, I pretty much have our base set and then it's just picking the hop combos and the ratios. Um, but yeah, not as much as I thought, but at the same time, it's very similar. Um, so I guess for folks that uh, aren't here in Omaha, um, I know you said you do some limited distributions. Um, do you have any, are you, are you involved in any festivals coming up or is, is there any way for people to access you maybe who, who can't make it here to Omaha to get to the brewery? Yeah, um, we do have our beer on tap at some bars around town. Um, legally, I don't believe I'm allowed to say where they're mm-hmm. at, um, but just check at some of the local craft beer bars. We got some kegs out in the world right now. Um, we will be at Beers on the Boardwalk at Fontenelle Forest. Um, fortunately, I believe the event's sold out. Um, so if you don't have your tickets, it's too late on that one. Um, we will be at Brouhaha. Um, so that's the Habitat for Humanity Beer Fest over at Sterling Ridge. Um, one of my favorite beer fests because there's food in addition to the beer. Um, <laughs> often so, often overlooked at beer festivals yeah, is the food. The food aspect, absolutely. It's like you're drinking all this beer and it becomes a drunk fest by the end of it. It's like if these people just had some food to eat, I think we'd be all right here. Um, so yeah, got those two coming down the pike. Um, yeah, I think that's it for the rest of the summer. We wish we could be at um, Lagerfest, but staff-wise here, we've pretty much like half of our staffs on vacation during that beer fest. So it's gonna be a all hands on deck here situation, which can happen from time to time. Lagerfest that's was right. fun. Drew and I were there last year, and we had our own booth, and people avoided us because they thought they were going to be interviewed by coming uh-huh. over to our booth. Uh, and then we wound up taking over Big Hair's br- uh, booth so that Reed could uh, walk around and enjoy the fest. And yeah, Reed's a great dude. We just wound up oh, yeah. drinking Reed's beer. Yeah, it was like a one for you, one for me, yeah, one for yeah. you. One Would you like me. to try this beer? We'll, we'll try it with you. Yeah, no, that's, that's what beer fests are all about. I know. Yeah. We're super bummed that we can't do lager fest. I, that's the one thing as a brewer. Like, I didn't get a chance to do many lagers home brewing. Um, I was able to borrow my friend's, like, Coolbot, which is a thing that you hook up to your kegerator that controls the temperature. And but with the amount of beer I was making preparing for here, that was the kegerator that I had my kegs in, and so it was tough to do loggers. Um, and so once I've got here with temperature control, I've gone kind of dive deep into the logger realm and just love them. But fortunately, staffing wise, is not going to be able to make it. <laughs> so talking about beer festivals, which are a great way to reach out to the uh, to the beer community that's in the area, how how do you like to engage with the community uh, from monolithic? Like how do you guys? reach out and intertwine with with Northwest Omaha and, and beyond kind of in that Nebraska space? Yeah, um, so obviously the Bennington thing was huge. So we got into there. They have a Founders Day thing that happens every September, um, and we got into their beer garden for that, which was a good first step. And then we got into their actual Bennington Days beer garden. Um, so any opportunity that we have to go off-site like that or just collaborate locally too, um, like Rally Coffee um, downtown, um, Ian's become a good friend, and we get all of our coffee from him. He roasts the beans himself. Like we went out to his roasting operation to get our first like bag of beans, and, um, which is really cool. So yeah, any opportunity we have to collaborate with local businesses or you know, collaborate with local breweries, and really a lot of it just comes down to here in the tap room. I mean, we really pride ourselves on our customer service and chatting with our customers, getting to know people that you know that are from this area, because word of mouth like the biggest form of marketing. 
you know, you wow somebody when they come in here, then they're going to go tell all their friends and family about it. And so, yeah, any opportunity we get, you know, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, speaking of Nebraska, we are a, a football fan podcast, and we we know you're a football fan. Absolutely. Um, do you have any any thoughts on uh, Matt Rule, the upcoming season? Yeah, no, super excited. I mean, this off season feels different, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it we can all say it feels, feels different. Yeah, and it feels <laughs> long. yeah, it, yeah. A lot of question marks. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely question marks. And obviously, we've gone through this a few times in the past, you know, ten years. Um, it does feel different, but I think like most Husker fans are like, okay, yeah, we need to see it kind of translate to the field. But a lot of the off off the field stuff and just comments from players and from people that cover the team, like it, it does seem like it's truly different this time. And his his approach is different than any coach that we've had, you know, recently. I would say. So definitely a lot of reason for optimism. But, of course, it's going to come down to Saturdays in the fall. And it's not going to happen right away. I mean, sure, maybe it does. I mean, we've seen those that happen with some teams. I mean, Mel Tucker did it up at Michigan State. Uh, but I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. I mean, obviously the offensive line is one of the big question marks. And as long as they continue to improve and gel over the years, I think it's, it's going to be all about the trenches this year. If we can win in the trenches, I think we got a shot to – make a bowl game yeah <laughs> hopefully it's yeah i would say it's it and i keep telling myself it will be a slow build yeah and it will get there but i still always have that that inner optimistic fan who just he's like yeah but what if what if you know what if this year what if they just like flip the script because it does it feels different so yeah, those random teams out of nowhere will go 11 and 2 <laughs> right i mean it yeah, michigan state did it like there's plenty of teams in the big Ten. why not that. us yeah, yeah. I, I know it can happen yeah if you can brew this beer, your second time <laughs> homebrewing. If you can brew Feisty Walrus your second time, I feel like Matt Rule can go 10 and 2. How, do you, how do you think your second beer compared to that second beer? I'm pretty sure my second beer got thrown out. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it did. I'm pretty sure that I tasted it, though. Like, you made people <laughs> taste it right before you dumped it out. Yeah, I was like, is this bad? <laughs> like, I know it's bad, but is it bad? It was hard to throw. Am away. I just being hard on myself? Yeah, yeah. no, it was bad. No, what what, <laughs> um, what you were saying? My wife and I were just having this exact same conversation the other night, where I was like, you know, Matt Rule's expectations. I think he would be seen as a letdown by a lot of the fan base if he went worse than seven and five. I personally expect six and six. Not to ruin any predictions that come down on this podcast in the future, but I, I really think that it's doable to make a bowl game in that first year. I really want to believe in that skipping the first Matt rule season and, and starting on year two for Matt rule, just the way that he's, you know, uh, kind of been on his trajectory, the kind of talent that Nebraska has going into this season and the way that they ended last season, there's some really good positive momentum. Absolutely. Yeah. And this, this is a season to do it because it doesn't get any easier after this. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> no, it's it true. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, do you, do you do game days up here at all? I was just going to ask that. Oh, yeah. What's game so day like TVs here? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we have the games on both TVs. We have it over the audio system. Um, unfortunately, breweries aren't the biggest game day draw, so we we really haven't gotten any big crowds. But we do always have the game on the TVs and you know, hope that we would. Um, so that's something we hope we can build on in the future. Um, but you know, talking to most of the breweries around town, I mean, myself, if I'm not working, I'm at home throwing a party with my buddies, so I get it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, we always have the games on. We have them over the speakers. So if you're looking for a place to come watch the Huster games, we have food, obviously. Yeah, it's a good spot to do it. 
I'd run out of beer a, a lot slower if I was here than when I'm at home. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Especially the way the last few seasons have gone. Mm. I run out of beer and drinks a little bit quicker than normal. Yeah. I say it's a lot easier to get up and just walk to the bar and, and order a new one rather than having to run to the store at halftime. And yeah. yeah. I promise yeah. we will not run out of beer during the Oscar game. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So we always like to end on, on one of our favorite questions. Um, and that is to do with beer, it's to do with football, and it's to do with this longstanding tradition that needs to go. Uh, amongst other longstanding traditions with Nebraska football that sometimes we hang on to a little too tight. If Trev Alberts finally gets it done and allows beer sales in Memorial Stadium, and he comes to Monolithic and he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What's a beer that you would provide that might... Uh, might go over gangbusters for the Nebraska fan base? And then what's one that you might slip in and say, this is the one that we're going to really get them on. We're going to make them fans for life with this beer. Yeah, I mean, so the first beer I'd go with, just based on being a lot of Husker games, I think we'd start with Monolithic Light. Like, here's a delicious American Light lager that everybody can enjoy. But then I would slip in our Juice City Sessions. So that's our Session Hazy IPA series. Um, so you get all that you know, juicy hop flavor, but it's still under 5.5% ABV, and it's, you know, got that smooth, clean finish to it, and that's kind of like the gateway beer to IPA for us, so that's definitely one that I would slide in there. Yeah, it's awesome. and Juice City's fun to, if you if you come up here often enough, you're always trying new hops and different combos, and so it's fun to kind of see what you come up with next, because um, it's it's got the, the consistent base, um, but then a little something new and fresh to try yeah it's kind of my hot playground honestly it's like different hop combos or like if i get a new hop i haven't used before it's like all right we'll just use all this hop and see how it goes over <laughs> um i'm a little bit more apprehensive about that these days i've had a couple where it's like this has no business being a primary hop but <laughs> at least you know it's an opportunity to find out so you, you kind of going back to the beer conversation normally we end it there but now i'm curious um where where and, and how do you go about sourcing new hop like where where does that come from yeah, it comes from Yakima Valley, Washington, for the most part. Um, it's the Napa Valley of hops. And their processing, their advanced hop products are you know, the, be- the best available. Um, there's also a lot of you know, Southern Hemisphere hops that those companies import in from New Zealand, Australia. Um, but that's where I primarily get my hops, especially for the IPAs. Um, I use advanced hop products um, called Cryo Hops or Lupo Max, which is the same thing, which they're able to remove a lot of the vegetal matter that you don't want and just isolate the specific you know alpha acids and flavor compounds that you do want and so you dose them at half the rate and so you get much brighter cleaner beer so i mean with the ipas that's a big reason for the cleaner finishes is trying to use those exclusively when i can is there is there a type of hop that you're trying to get your hands on like a like a moby dick the great white well that's out there for you Yep, that one would be Nectaron. So I got my hands on it back in um, late winter, and we did a hazy IPA called Benevolent Sun, which I've brewed so many hazy IPAs at this point where I've almost burned myself out. I mean, I still love and appreciate them, don't get me wrong. But we made that one. It's Citra and Nectaron, which comes from the Southern Hemisphere. And I, I was blown away. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then we tapped it, and our customers agreed. And... I wasn't able to get my hands on it anymore. I got one box, and that was it. But it's looking like some more are going to come available. I'm going to buy a bunch of them. Heck yeah. Is it is it a new varietal? Is that why it's so difficult to come yeah, by? Yeah, it's newer. Um, it's from, I believe it's New Zealand. And it comes out once a year through that provider, and everybody gets after it, and it's just gone. 
It's a crop. So once it's gone, it's gone. But I did find out that some more is supposed to be showing up here in July from the new harvest. So I'm hopeful they'll be able to get more. Um, I did save enough, so I'm going to brew Benevolent Sun again here in, I think, like three weeks. And so that'll be back on tap. Well, we will be back right, in three, three weeks, weeks plus however that long <laughs> that needs to age for you. It sounds like a transformer, though, that Nectaron, like, that be my, on, yeah. my favorite transformer. Transform me into a happy person. <laughs> what kind of what kind of vehicle? It'd be, it would transform into your, your, your Civic, and then it your would, or your Accord, <laughs> and then it would turn into a pint of beer. That'd be yeah. the kind of transformer it is. And it'd be orange. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's, that sounds, is it like, how, how would you describe that flavor profile? Yeah, so the reason I, the first time using the hop, I'm like, all right, so it's called Nectaron because it has, like, nectarine kind of citrusy flavors. And, and then I also got my hands on a new um, form of citra, which is called Incognito, which is a liquid hop that you exclusively use in the whirlpool. So, like, once you're done brewing and boiling, um, you chill the beer down and um, basically whirlpool it in the tank so that way it spins around, all the particulates drop out. And so you add that liquid hop at that point. And it, when you add it, it smells like you're zesting oranges in the brewery. Mm. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to combine Nectaron with Citra, two citrus-forward hops, and that's my experiment. We'll see how it goes from there. And it's like, okay, this worked very well. <laughs> do, you, do you have to make any tweaks to your next, next version of this, or you're like, I got it? Nope, I'm going to do it exactly the same as the first time. There's nothing to change on that one. Did you know that there was such a thing as liquid hops? I'm, I just learned this now. Yeah, it's like oil. It's like a hop oil. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know that. I don't keep up to date with like all the new stuff. I still have frozen hops from my neighbor that like whole cone hops. So I'm just I'm blown away by times. these 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 names. Incognitos also like I'm pretty sure that already is a transformer. It's like the cassette tape that turns into <laughs> yeah. a fighter plane or something like that. Someone's going to correct us on that. But. At a brewery near you, yeah. Yeah. Incognito <laughs> hops. <laughs> Well, I know what we've got to look forward to when it comes to monolithic and seeing when that comes back out. So I'll definitely be back to, to give that a sample. Oh, absolutely. Um, but Shane, we really want to thank you for giving us your time on a, on a Monday when it's a quiet day in the, in the brewery where you don't have idiots bothering you to let two idiots come in and bother <laughs> you and, and ask you about beer and football and everything like that. So we really do appreciate your time and, and your hospitality and letting us come in and crash your day. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, thank, you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming out, guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Well, that does it for this episode of Wannabe Walk-Ons. We want to thank Shane for taking time to sit down with us. If you'd like to learn more about Monolithic Brewing, you can visit their website at monolithicbrewing.com or visit their Omaha Tap Room at 4915 North 120th Street, Suite 102, Omaha, Nebraska. That wraps up our off-season conversations for the 2023 season. We will be back at the end of July to kick off our preseason shows, including a live show at Hale Varsity Club on Monday, July 24th, where we will discuss Nebraska's non-conference opponents. Yeah, we'll spend a couple of minutes on Louisiana Tech and Northern Illinois, and the remaining 90 minutes talking <laughs> Nebraska versus Colorado. Maybe a joke? Probably, Probably not. <laughs> Visit HailVarsityClub.com for more info on our live recording. Uh, we want to thank all our listeners, both new and long time, for tuning in. If you have anyone who you think uh, would enjoy listening, we truly appreciate your recommendation. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. If you have any breweries you would like us to sample on the show, visit WannabeWalkOns.com to tell us where to drink next. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.
Sports Network production.